Live from Monsi, this is Yitzi Tobol, Building Jerusalem. Our guest today is Rabbi Ben-Sion Klatsko. Rabbi Klatsko is an author, lecturer, and musical composer. His best-known project is Shabbat.com, a social network originally designed to help Jews find Shabbat meals, uh, and which has since evolved into a dating platform. Rabbi Klatsko, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. And uh, thank you for having me on the podcast. This, this project of yours, Shabbat.com, when you originally started it, what did you have in mind? Originally, we used to have a lot of people for Shabbat. We still do. And people often would say, how is it that you or the Klatskos, our family, has so many? Why don't you send me some of your guests? And I would think to myself, why don't you find your own guests? Uh, just like I find guests, you can find guests. And at a certain point, I realized that they can't. Most people don't have access to other people. I'm a college rabbi, so I know a lot of people. But most hosts really would love to have guests, and they just don't know where to find them. And even worse, many guests don't know how to find hosts for every Shabbat. So I thought, wouldn't it be great to have a platform where a guest can find a host and a host can find a guest? Right. Sounds it sounds simple when you put it that way. Yeah. When you came into the market, was there any anyone already trying to do something like that? Not really. A few months after we started, somebody else came up with a similar idea, uh, but it really did not go anywhere. Um, I, I think what happens is when people have good ideas, uh, if they want to make it big, uh, they they have to realize and appreciate that it's going to cost a lot of money. A lot of people have good ideas, but aren't really willing to spend the money that it takes to actualize and concretize the idea uh, in a way that it will be user-friendly, robust, and updatable. And nowadays have an app connected to it, as well as a mobile site. So it's a very big undertaking. So one one person started it. It didn't go anywhere. Um, a few months later, someone else tried to create a travel social network for Jewish people. Uh, it closed down very soon after it started. And um, yeah, we're, we're, we're pretty much the only show in town as far as a social network for uh, Shabbat goes. And uh, anyone can build it, but it would be very difficult. Right. So what, what is, um, what's the user experience like? So often people think that, oh, Rabbi Klatsko matches up guests and hosts. I don't. I just created a platform where you could find your own guest or you could find your own host. Right. You go on, you say whether you would like to be a guest or a host. It asks you some questions. For example, if you're a host, it will ask you, can you host men? Can you host women? Can you host families? How many can you host? Can you host for eating? And sleeping, do you, do you offer lodging? By when do they have to reserve? By Wednesday, by Thursday, by Friday? Can you take people last minute? So we ask you those questions so we know uh, what your capabilities are. And then you have created a page for yourself. And everyone has their own page, just like uh, any social network like Facebook, 
that everyone has their own page with their own feed, their own postings. You could post videos, you could post uh, pictures, you could post uh, lots of different things. So you have the, you have everyone has their own page, and then you can go onto someone else's page and invite them, um, and and have them over for Shabbat. Are there people now who are using it as a as a replacement for other social networks, like instead of Facebook? So there are many. There are many Jewish people uh, today who uh, don't want to be on Facebook. Many people in general hmm. who don't want to be on Facebook. There are privacy issues. There's content issues. And what we're offering is more of a gated community uh, where the community polices itself. If there's something inappropriate, anyone can flag any post and the post gets removed until it's, uh, until it's looked at. Oh, and, that's interesting. So yeah. the, the, the um, flagging, flagging happens automatically and then has to be manually switched off. Right, right. Okay. So, so it's, it's, there's more of a tendency towards content management in this exactly, environment. Exactly, exactly. We, we, we don't pretend to be open source in a way that everything goes. Right. We are Jewish. We are God-fearing. If someone gets on the website and starts bashing God, uh, we, we don't let them stick around. Right. If, they, if they have questions, we would. But this is a positive Jewish site. Right. How how did that evolve from a place uh, where people are, are finding Shabbos meals to a place where people are finding life partners? Well, the, 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 at the heart of uh, the way our site functions and thrives is that it's a social network. Meaning like this, a lot of people have ideas of creating online static databases. So you could create an online static database of guests and hosts. Mm -hmm. But if it's not social and interactive, if people aren't posting and liking and commenting, then it'll just be another tool that sits in your uh, uh, app folder on your phone or, or you've logged into once or twice, but you'll never go back to it. Right. So we have to make it social. It is the social aspect that brings people back, which reminds them, hey, what are you doing for Shabbos? Or, hey, do you have any room at your table for someone else? And once it became social and people were interacting with each other and messaging, we realized that a lot of the guests are single, which makes a lot of sense. They're single people who are looking for places each week. And because of that, we started allowing people to meet each other and to date, to inquire about each one's dating availability. And uh, we found it very successful. Uh, it is so successful that we have about six engagements every month. Wow, Mazel so, Thank you. So it's a very successful way of matching people together. You earn your way into Elam Haba again every two weeks. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we did two last week. We're very excited. Baruch Hashem. And, um, so when you, you said know. allowing people to meet, um, there was, I mean, the function, obviously, to the extent that it was a social network already, people could message each other, I assume. What was, what was added with the dating function? How, what was the additional code there? So what was added was a dating page where you could filter prospects by different criteria. Yeah. And what was also added was a dating profile where 
people who are available for dating can add an extra page to their profile where they answer dating questions and you can see what a person is looking for. And we also have, and it's being upgraded, uh, being able to, uh, to connect to other parties, like to play a matchmaker on the website and to say, hey, I know him, I know her, let's put them together, let's send them the resume. And normally they may not know that they each know you. And this way you're putting them together. So uh, it's very effective in allowing people to do uh, deeper research into each other and, and, uh, and meet that way. Right. I, I would also say one more thing. If we didn't advertise ourselves as a dating network, then messaging not on a dating network for dating is somewhat awkward. Mm. But when you come on the site, you know you're on a dating network and even the messaging is allowed to be more of a uh, dating kind of messaging. Right. Yeah, I, I really hear that. Just as soon as you've uh, made it explicit on the, on the site that that's what some people are here to do, right. then it's a lot more permitted. Shabbat.com is obviously uh, your most well-known program, but it's not by a long shot your uh, your only program. Originally, though, like as a young man, you worked as a community rabbi. That was your staple. What changed? So I, I was a community rabbi as well as a teacher in different schools until the age of 30. When I was 30 years old, my younger brother, named Rabbi Gavriel Klatsko, passed away in his sleep suddenly. He was 28 years old, and he lived in Johannesburg in South Africa. And through his passing, through the seven days of mourning, I really began to think about my life and uh, what, what would be my reflection uh, if something like that happened to me uh, at that age. And I realized that even though I was a pulpit rabbi, both the community and my job description wasn't really allowing me to have the kind of uh, effect. I wasn't making the kind of difference that I wanted to in the world. And uh, I, left, I left the rabbinate and became a college rabbi. Now, that may sound like the same thing, rabbi, rabbi, but it's really quite different. A college rabbi is, uh, you're much more in the trenches. You're reaching out to people. You're having them over for Shabbat. You're introducing them to Shabbat. Uh, there's a lot of things that you're doing that uh, are unique. And um, that allowed me to become a little more kind, a little more empathetic towards other people. And, yeah. A little more kind, more empathetic. Mm -hmm. So uh, let me see if I understand this right. As a, as a pulpit rabbi, you're preaching to a community that are uh, sort of already there because they want to be there because that's their shul. Uh, whereas as a you, as a campus rabbi, you're often talking to people who aren't necessarily affiliated and don't necessarily know that they want to be affiliated. And it's your job to to show them that Judaism is something worthwhile. Exactly. Exactly. How does that how does that build the kindness and the empathy for you? So, a student is a, a very interesting a breed. They're very different than established and responsible adults. Um, it's when we transition 
and in college, we transitioned from being self-centered children to uh, adults that understand that the world doesn't revolve around them. And during that transitional time, there's a lot of inner turmoil, a lot of uh, separation from one's parents, uh, difficulty uh, in the competition that the university breeds, uh, confusion with their faith. And um, you really become the person that is like another parent to the to, to the student, uh, they'll cry with you. They'll laugh with you. They'll ask you questions. They'll confide in you in ways that they wouldn't even confide in their parents. And it, it pushes the envelope of kindness uh, because they are so young and they're really vulnerable. When we think of a, a university student, a freshman is only 18. 18 is such a kid. Mm. And... Um, they're going through life decisions and they're going through breakups and their relationships and rejection from fraternities and failure in different classes. And it, it, there's just a lot there and they're away from home. Many of them from the, for the first time in their lives. And you just, you just play that role and it just uh, teaches one to be a little more kind and thoughtful. Sure. And that was the start of a, of a new way of living for you. It right. became, um, I, you, you you were giving a talk, I believe, at the time on uh, Jewish themes and Jewish thought in Hollywood movies. Right. So when when I moved to UCLA when I was thirty years old, I moved to UCLA to become that college rabbi. Uh, I thought it would be a good idea. There were a few people in Hollywood who were very involved, uh, and they were looking for a young rabbi. Their rabbis were in general older and somewhat disconnected. And I was a young rabbi, didn't want anything from them, and they felt connected to me. And it was really an amazing way to, uh, to uh, influence many people through Hollywood and through the media. As a matter of fact, just this afternoon, I teamed up with um, uh, the, the writer and director of the show Friends uh, to work on a certain student that needs the push so we're going to tag team together. Like we're, we're connecting with these kind of people in Hollywood was very beneficial to the public at large, to these very influential people. And also it allowed me to play Let's Make a Deal with my students where the student would want a job in Hollywood and Sony and Disney and Warner Brothers. And I would say, look, I'm your rabbi. I want something also. You know, you go to Israel, you learn about your Judaism, you learn some Torah for a few months, and I'll get you a job in Hollywood. <laughs> so uh, I would keep my word, and they would go and study. And, of course, very often I would hope that they wouldn't run back to Hollywood, but they would stay and learn more. They'd right. study more. Once they've had the taste for it, maybe they want that more than they want saying. Right. Well, when you say you didn't want anything from them, you mean in terms that's in terms of the students you were ministering to? In, in terms of the the Hollywood people, right? Yeah, Hollywood people, especially famous people, they all um, have a mindset which is not entirely incorrect. That anyone who befriends them wants something from them. Right. It's a rub off uh, of their fame, uh, their money, their connections. I would just come and give them a talk once a month. Right. And I was the friendly rabbi. So that worked. Fair. Who were you speaking to at the time? 
when you say you can Wait, talk once you a mean month. Names? No, no, I mean like <laughs> you can name drop if you like, but I mean in terms of um, like was it students? Was it people in the industry? Was it a mix? It, it, it was mainly students, but once a month I would do people in the industry. Oh, okay. So the once a, the once a month one was for people who are already working in Hollywood. Right. Wow. Okay. So um, therefore, you knew both worlds. Right. Okay. And that was that was the start of of your own um, musical ventures. Your own- no, I actually began music when I was a rabbi, still in my twenties. Uh, interesting story. Uh, I I made a CD that really should have been uh, an amazing project. Uh, the people on the CD were uh, some of the top singers in the Jewish world. And when I moved to California, we were near the end of the project and it just never got completed. And it was recorded analog, not digital. And it was 20 plus years ago. And uh, I didn't have the recordings. I didn't have the tracks. And uh, it was gone. A, a lot of work vocals and instruments and compositions and a few months ago I bumped into the arranger and I said I would I really feel bad I didn't finish that project it would be amazing to finish it do you perhaps have any of those tracks still from those analog days and he said yeah I have them on whatsapp now and he just whatsapped them to me on the spot and now we're releasing that but since then I worked with other musicians I've composed I've run uh, musicals so uh, music is a passion of mine, and it's a passion of uh, my entire family. My kids all play or compose music. I, I uh, actually, just before uh, we started recording here, you were showing me some of the videos. The one I just saw, um, this was the 25-year-old track that's just right. been released. Uh, was it called? Chazak Kimale. Yeah. The strength, his strength will fill. Chazak means God. Chazak strong one, uh, Yamale should fulfill Mishalo Senu, our request. Strong one, fulfill our request. Amitz, mighty one, Yasa Bakasha Senu, do our, uh, our, our prayer, what, we're, what we are asking for, please do. Fantastic. Yeah. So this, this track, I just heard it before, as I can say for the, for the listeners here, it's aged extraordinarily well. <laughs> Like you play this because uh, it just got up to, uploaded to YouTube right. a couple of weeks ago. A couple of days ago. A couple of days Friday, ago. Thursday night, Friday, yeah. And I was, um, mm-hmm. if people want to look it up, what's the what's uh, the search term? Chazakimal. Actually, they could look up the name uh, Ari Davis official video. Ari Davis, A R I D A V I S. Right. Ari Davis official, official video. Uh, he made it 20 plus years ago with me. And this morning, I messaged him and I said, I have something to tell you. He was in the car, he called me back and he said, what? He said, remember that recording we made 20 plus years ago? I said, I finally finished it and it's uploaded. So he listened to it. He was very excited. (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. And the music video is current there. The music video. stuff. You just made that. Yeah, I just did that on also Thursday night. Fantastic. Yeah. That's, that's, that's good stuff. So you're, you've done that and your, your children are all musicians. Right. I saw a, a clip before of, of them playing a Havdalah service here. Right. So um, you have like big production Shabbat here yourself. Right. You don't just uh, talk the Shabbat talk, mm-hmm. you walk the Shabbat walk. We love Shabbat. Shabbat is a Makara Bracha, the source of all blessing that exists. 
you know, any, any blessing that we're looking for. You want peace? Shabbat is the answer. You want to find love? Shabbat is the answer. You want to find meaning? Shabbat is the answer. You want to understand your family? Shabbat is the answer. It is the answer to everything that we've been looking for, which is why Shabbat is the cornerstone of Judaism. Shabbat is one of the Ten Commandments. Shabbat is, uh, Shabbat is the crown jewel. And out of all the mitzvot, it's the crown jewel. It's, uh, not keeping Shabbat is uh, considered very severe, and keeping Shabbat is an indication that the person is uh, somebody who really wants to connect. Hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, it's interesting you say that uh, you list all these things and you say Shabbat is the answer. Uh, I was just thinking about that this morning, specifically in terms of how so much of Jewish practice is not stuff that's, that's, uh, that can be technically explained from the outside, but it's stuff that has to be... Um, I'm trying to remember the, the words of the poet Rainier Maria Rilke, who said something like living, living into the mystery. Mm. And so I think for, for Shabbat specifically... You can't tell someone what keeping Shabbat will do for them because you don't know and they don't know. And it's only once you switch off all sorts of distractions and say, for the next day, I'm not doing anything else, that other stuff can show up. Exactly, exactly. To do a Shabbat right, um, you need to be in a community or in an environment where others are doing it. The environment has to be one of joy, where Shabbat is a passion, uh, and no holes are barred. <laughs> Nothing is withheld. And that's what Shabbat is. Shabbat is, uh, we call it in, in Hebrew, we call it Shefa. It's abundance. Abundance of food. Abundance of singing. Abundance of bonding. In, in our home on Friday night, after our large meal at the house, I say goodbye to the guests. And all of the children go upstairs and they sit on my bed and we bond for hours. We sit and we talk and we play games every Friday night. Wow. So they know Shabbat is that also. That's fantastic. Yeah. Was it always like this for you? Was it always such a passion or was that something you cultivated? I'm sure it was cultivated a lot. Yeah. Uh, it helps to have your own... Uh, your own circumstance, your own table, uh, where you call the shots so your passion and your vision can be actualized. Uh, but uh, I've certainly loved Shabbat since I was young. Was it a passion? It's, it's like anything else. It grows into a passion if you invest. So I've invested a lot. And our, our whole home is built for Shabbat. I'm really getting that impression. I'm just, if I can paint a picture for the sure. listener, I'm, I'm sitting right now in Rabbi Benzian Klatsko's dining room, which I guess could be accurately termed his uh, Shabbat Great Hall. <laughs> it's, it's got a giant uh, table through the middle with um, about 12 chairs on each side. Well, no, actually, the table opens up. See, it splits, and the, the, this... Table holds 62. This table holds 62 right. people. Seven, 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 two, two. And then the inside, seven, 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 seven. And then the ends, two, 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 two. 
Wow. Hold 62 people. So 62 people. <laughs> this is this one, the table is small, it looks like this. Oh, okay. This is the shrunken this form. This is the shrunken form. <laughs> so right now in the shrunken form, it looks like some, I don't know, like a, a, a oh, is, boardroom. Uh, yeah. Uh, something like that. 28, 30. Now it holds 32. In the small form, it's 32. When you enlarge it, you can sit in the insides as well. Right. Because it's, it's actually four tables stuck together. Right. It actually is built as one table, but... But each quadrant has its own four legs. So usually we would have one long tablecloth, so you wouldn't even realize it's four tables. Mm -hmm. um, but if you look at the edges, we custom made it. See how the edge is rounded? Yep. And this edge is rounded. This edge is not round. Ah, so that's it, really It really cool. is one long table with only four round corners at the end. Fair. But then when you split it, you get extra tables. You split it, right. So it's, it, it is one long table that splits off like transformer style into yeah, four tables. Exactly. And then just, just I'm, I want to try and get some of this room across. Uh -huh. this, this room is visible in your videos, yeah. dollar videos and so yeah. on. So I guess people could, could check it on your YouTube for a more accurate description. Right. But there are, there are large uh, windows across the outside with these beautiful drapings. The art on the walls is magnificent. Uh, I think that's a painting of the... Uh, splitting of the sea. Right. Um, there are the, the four uh, children of the Pesach Seder rendered in um, uh, rendered as a as a quad tick as four different portraits right. lined up. And there are a couple of old Hasidim playing chess on this wall. Oh. And always an excellent subject right. for a for a um, for a painting. And in the far corner there's a there's a gorgeous stand full of Talmud Bavlis. And everything is chandeliers up top side, a, a bimmer with um, the haro set of uh, the Ramachal. Right. And hanging between here and the and the kitchen is the um, the curtain that was once on the tomb of Rabbi Mer Balhanes. Right. So everything in this this room is just is just um, it, it it it's interesting. It, it uh, feels like the fulfillment of what you were saying before when you said it helps when when you want to be joyful on Shabbat. It helps to have somewhere where you can live that vision out. Exactly. You have to have a vision of what you want, and then you can make exactly. that happen. This is the ark. There's two Torahs in there. Where? There. In this? Yeah. What? There are two Torahs in here? Yeah. How? You could open it. So there are two Torahs here, and this, this is your shul. This is a shul. The name of the shul, we call it Kihila's Gabriel Chai. Gabriel is alive. Gabriel was my is... brother who has passed on to a longer life in the next world. Yeah, sure. So, uh, what's his Hebrew name? Gabriel. Gabriel Eliyahu. Gabriel Eliyahu. Ben uh, Naftali Yosef Halevi. Gabriel Eliyahu Ben Naftali Yosef Halevi. Elias Neshama. Elias Neshama. So we uh, we remember him, and uh, this shul is a shul of Great, great celebration. So every Friday night, there's singing, there's dancing. It's a Kalbach minion. Um, just kids sitting on parents' shoulders. Uh, just unbridled joy. Uh, Shabbos morning, also beautiful singing, hollering. Uh, there's a, a big kiddush here every uh, every. Uh, 
after after Shachris or after Musaf, uh, where each Shabbos we serve different kinds of cheesecake and tequila and herring, and everyone just whoops it up over here, and uh, it's just it's the funnest thing. Shabbos over here is uh, very fun, and uh, we could fill up hundreds of people here. So we started trying to make a rotation because once people come once, they try to come every week. Right. So we make a rotation. So if you'd like to see what a Shabbat looks like in Muncie, New York, by the Klatskos, you can go on to Shabbat.com and uh, join us. Just look up the name Klatsko. My first name is Ben Sion. Or uh, you can go on to my Facebook. It's really easy. You don't even have to remember my name or know how to spell it. All you got to do is go to Facebook.com forward slash Shabbat. Great. And that will give you my page. I'm really glad you got that URL. I got that I URL. <laughs> It's it's a prime real estate, but if go. anyone deserves it, you do. <laughs> um, and let me let me answer this. This is um, sort of a a bit a bit just just based on something you said before. But you mentioned that if someone wants to do Shabbat right, they have to do it in a community with other people who are doing Shabbat. Which yeah, that's that's very clear. And then you also mentioned that they have to be doing it joyfully. Right. So this is something that I feel like people some people talk about it, some people don't talk about it so much. Where is where is that that idea that Shabbat has to be joyful? Where does that come from for you? Uh, well, it comes from Lechadodi. Yasi Kimsas Chasan Alkala. The Almighty uh, will be, rejoice with you like a, 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 a groom rejoices over his bride. Uh, there, it's unbridled joy. Boi kala, boi kala, come my, come my bride. It's a wedding. As a matter of fact, uh, Judaism is a relationship. It's not a religion. It's built like a relationship. And everything about Shabbat is the epitome of that relationship. Shabbat is the epicenter of that relationship. You know, imagine uh, a relationship. You turn off your phone. Right, you're on a you're on a date. Mm-hmm. Right? You turn off your phone. You don't answer your phone. You don't get distracted. You you get changed. You go get dressed nicely. Take your shower. You put on a white tablecloth. You light some candles. You pour some wine. You know, Shabbat is built just like a date. Right. Right. You buy flowers for Shabbat. Shabbat is a date. So, but it, crucially, in a sense, yeah. it's not us taking someone out for a date. It's God taking us out for a date. There's actually a question: Who's taking who? Oh, really? Yeah, it's not. It's, That's us in the Gemara. Yeah, it's it's. Um, uh, there's a, a, a dispute: uh, Who is the bride? Who is the groom? But either way, either way, Hashem taking us, us taking Hashem. Uh, but either way, we are on a date. Fair. We're on a date. And if you're going to be on a date, you you got to be happy about it. I, w- I would think if you want <laughs> if you want the date to be worthwhile. Right. Of course. So, so for people who, um, who, I mean, there's kind of two questions at once, but for people who, who haven't experienced a Shabbat, um, and they might walk into somewhere where they don't get that, they, they don't feel that joy, what would you recommend for someone who wants to experience a Shabbat that is joyful and who might not have access to uh, your wonderful Muncie table? You could, you could do research. Uh, look, take prayer. Prayer is very important within Judaism. But some synagogues that you go to and pray, the prayer will be boring. Some it'll be more exciting. Some it'll be more meaningful. So 
you you take responsibility for where you pray and you find the place that speaks to you the most. So in that same way, find the place, find the, uh, do some research. Uh, again, if you go out to Shabbat.com, we are in uh, 160 countries and you can order hosts by most popular. So you can actually see who the most popular hosts are or you can order them by most feedback because after Shabbos, we give each other feedback. Oh, wow. So it's really easy to see who's, where the party is. Fantastic. Yeah. I didn't know Shabbat tables were, were already like subsumed into the world of Yelp reviews. Yes. Here we are. We, we, we predated Yelp. <laughs> we predated Yelp. Incredible. Okay. And then, then the flip side of that really for me is for people who maybe grew up in something of a traditional house or even a very religious house, but for whom Shabbat wasn't a joyful experience. Right. What what advice do you have for people like that for getting over that home? Really, it's the same thing. You have to find a place where uh, you could see the joy. You could see the joy of Shabbat modeled. Yeah, that's that's really the key. You have to uh, usually if you go to yeshiva or seminary or go somewhere where uh, there is more joy, you'll get a, a real taste of it. Um, we know that going to a yeshiva or seminary is the cornerstone of the experiences that guide us in how we're supposed to relate and feel the rest of our lives. So Purim, for example, in yeshiva is much more joyous than Purim when you're in your house. So we draw from the Purim experience of yeshiva, Mm. where there were a lot of people there. Um, That's how we we draw. Another thing is you take responsibility for the joy uh, on your own. So, and, and, the, and the Talmud says to do this. The Talmud says that if you have a, uh, a good piece of meat, save it for Shabbat. You have a, a good scotch, save it for Shabbat. You've got good fish. You have a nice clothing, save it for Shabbat. So what we do is we condition ourselves, we prepare ourselves to accept joy. Hmm. And if we don't prepare ourselves, but we say, okay, I'm here, joy, come to me. Uh, there are not many things in the world where that's going to work out. Right. Uh, joy doesn't come to you. You pursue joy. You prepare yourself for joy. So when joy comes, you know how to react. Right. Beautiful. Yeah. It's, it's uh, I, I mean, I, I guess what I'm asking is in terms of like, people for whom there are a lot of people who are raised religious and and find themselves doing all the doing everything either by rote or because they feel well I kind of I feel obliged to do this because that's uh my best understanding is this is is my obligation and that's it for for someone trying to transition from that place of just obligation to somewhere where the joy is present they may already be keeping their best meat and their nicest clothes for Shabbat but they don't yet have a, um, a a joy for it, right? How would they start cultivating that? So, it's an interesting phenomenon. I'm just thinking out loud, sort of a sure. Um, what gives us joy as a 14 year old is far different than what gives us joy as an 18 year old, and what gives us joy as an 18 year old is very different than what gives us joy as a 25 year old. 
as we get older, it could be just the most delicious pair of slippers to walk around in. That's enough for me. Hmm. When we're young, we need a roller coaster. Right. The, the problem is that often we think that we grew up without a Shabbos of joy, and that, that could happen. But very often, it wasn't that it wasn't joyful. It was joyful for the people who, was, who were creating it because they were enjoying it. But we were young, and we were uh, uh, restless, and we needed a different kind of joy than the comfort of a piece of meat. We needed that, uh, uh, you know, we, we needed the activity. We needed the uh, self-expression. We needed the attention. It's a different kind of joy. So I, I can... I can once again say that a person has to create within themselves the joy by knowing what makes them happy and then make connect that to Shabbos, right? Because no one's going to do that for you. They're going to be in a different place of joy uh, because of their age and even because of their experience. So I'm going to find joy in uh, certain things and I'm going to connect those things to Shabbos. But like anything... The more one prepares, uh, the more anticipation, and the more one enjoys. So I would say if a person grew up uh, more religious, but they feel like, oh, no, I didn't feel it, the reality is your parents could be were actually feeling it. They were enjoying it immensely. It just wasn't the joy for an 8-year-old. It was a joy for a 34-year-old a, a or mm. a 40-year-old. You know, it's a different kind of joy. Uh, now, if you're a parent, you have to be cognizant of that and try to find the kind of joy that your kids like as well as the joy that you like. That's the balancing act. Right. How, how, do, you, how do you try and play out that balancing act? I you know, try to get into my kids' minds. You know, <laughs> uh, The kids, they get up and they sing in front of everyone. And uh, we, like I mentioned before, after the meal, we play games together. We buy them what's called Shabbos Nash or Shabbos Treats. That's where that where that custom comes from. There's a custom that parents go out on Friday and they buy the kids special treats for Shabbat called right. Shabbos treats. Or some people buy their children sugary cereal, like a fruity pebbles, or something that is sweet because they want to teach their children that Shabbos is sweet. And the way a child's going to uh, make that connection is through the sweet cereal. Do you have this phrase here, Shabbos Nash? Uh, yeah, we do, but our kids get so much nosh, it's, <laughs> it's almost meaningless. Right. So that's that's the phrase we use back home, Shabbos nosh. Yeah. But so they're so attempting to like give them things on their level that will be joyful for them, while at the same time maintaining the the maybe slower paced joy for the adults. Right. Did you sort of off topic? But did you by any chance catch the Super Bowl? Uh, here and there, I mean, I was involved in the halftime. There was a Torah halftime show. What? There was a Torah halftime show yeah, for the so, Super Bowl? Yeah. So Shabbat.com was one of the sponsors. So we had to be streaming that. I caught a, a little bit of it. Um, what, know, wait, wait, this I need to hear about. What was the Torah halftime show? Uh, it was Bowl? put on by Chazak, Torah Anytime, aired it. And it was, uh, it was during the, that break where three different speakers got up and they connected the game to yearning and Torah and growth. 
That's amazing. A lot of people watch that. Can we can we still get that on YouTube? Is that yeah yeah? You should be uh, not on YouTube, but you can go on Torah anytime and see it. Torah anytime and Torah anytime. We'll have the the link to these talks. That's it. And it, it's about the game of football in general or that game in particular. One spoke in general. One spoke about that game in particular. Really. Because I, I, I'm remembering, you know, the, the Baal Shem Tov says that everything a man sees needs to be a lesson in his service of the divine. Mm. And I remember just at the end of that game, um, there was a really beautiful moment. Spoilers for people who don't know yet somehow. But um, there's a really incredible moment where uh, Tom Brady had just, you know, t- taken a sixth ring. He's now the undisputed best of all time. Right. And he's um, standing there after with his daughter on his, in his arm. Okay. And she's having the time of her life. She's loving the streamers and the fireworks plays and everything. And she's so exuberant and, and, and so happy to be there. And her joy is just like beaming off her. And then some of the other, um, like while the commissioner is being interviewed by, you know, they're doing their proper suit thing in the background, the, the teammates like bringing the trophy over to her and she's uh, like so surprised mm-hmm. and wowed. And that's the real show, you know. And then, like, even when Brady himself was getting interviewed, it's like the really official formal thing. She keeps, keeps trying to cut in. <laughs> and I feel like I, I commented to my friend, you know, if, if um, I feel like he should just take the microphone and interview her. <laughs> and, and he said, you know, if he did that, no one would stop him. But it's the idea that, like, that was really clear to me that, you know, the, the game the adults are playing, the game the kids are playing, often two separate games. And there isn't really room for the kids' joy necessarily. And, like, that which the parents think, oh, it's joyful for me and it's joyful for my peers. Right. That's very interesting. So getting the kids up to sing is useful. Getting right. candy. Right, having them get up and speak. Um, essentially, any way you can showcase your children, you could put the spotlight on them, will make them feel good and will make them want to engage. Hmm. So, And that works with everyone but especially your children, to put the spotlight on them. Right. Beautiful. Yeah. I want to ask you about uh, another project of yours, okay. uh, whymarryjewish.org. Sure. This is, this is a project, I mean, it's pretty self-explanatory, how did, how did, why, why it's important to marry Jewish. And it was a book as well. Right. Why, why did this project show up for you? What was so important about it? It's, um, it's a passion of mine. I... I I believe that the greatest kindness that you could do for your children is to give them two parents who are on the same page when it Whoa. comes to... Uh, Can you uh, say, that, say that line again? One of the greatest kindnesses, kindnesses that a parent can do for his or her children is to give them uh, two parents who are on the same page. Oh, that's, wow, that's really, that's really potent. That's yeah. the case stated really cleanly. Thank you. One of the greatest kindnesses you can do for your child is to give them two parents who are on the same page. Right. And so from a Jewish point of view, that means uh, two Jewish parents. Right. Right. And it, ne- it almost never works when the non-Jewish parent says, I'll let you raise them Jewish. Because then that parent is an outsider. Right. And the child will sooner or later understand that. And the child will feel conflicted. And will either resent the parent or resent the religion. Something is going to give. Wow. That's, that's incredible. I've, I've, you know, I, I feel like the, the case sounds like it should be really complex, multifaceted, but no, that's, that's very direct. Yeah. If, if 
so hang on, let me see if I got this right. If if two parents, if, if two parents have a kid and one of them's Jewish and the other one's like, just raise the kid Jewish is fine, uh-huh. and the Jewish parent raises the kid's Jewish, then the non-Jewish parents the outsider at all the Jewish events, exactly all the Jewish everything, right. And and the more one understands about Judaism, the more one sees that Judaism plays a role in every life cycle event that exists. Sure. So, and those life cycle events are the key moments of childhood. So could you imagine? During the key moments, one parent is an outsider. That's awful. It doesn't work. So that's why in, on the website, Why Marry Jewish, I did not have any rabbis speak. I just had students speak. I want, this, I want to hear from the students that I wish my parents had thought about it more. I wish they hadn't been so flippant about marrying out of the faith, saying, we'll figure it out. You didn't figure it out, we didn't figure it out. So... Wow. That's the case. It's incredible. Yeah. I, I kind of feel like on that particular issue, like I, I'm stunned by the simplicity of it. Did Was this something that you, you, you thought about, that was churning in you for a long time before you wrote about it? I mean, it still churns in me. Mm. I still deal with it on a daily basis. Um, but it may, it makes me genuinely... Sad when a Jewish person marries someone who's not Jewish. And not because the non-Jewish person is a bad person. They could be a much better person than the Jewish person. But it makes me sad because uh, the heart and soul of spirituality and truth when it comes to the Creator is going to be ambiguous and the children are going to leave feeling confused and empty and very often alone amongst their peers. Yeah. So. Whoa. Yeah, that's that's very intense stuff, man. Yeah. So sometimes I'll hear someone say, well, I can't find any Jewish guys that I like. Hmm. And that bothers me so. You can't find anyone Jewish that you like. Yes, there aren't billions, there are millions. Nobody, nobody, it's, uh, you know, I don't like Jewish guys. I say, we ourselves are the worst racists. (laughs) You know. know. What do you say to people like that? I, I say, I don't believe you've met everyone. I, I don't believe you're. Um, I, I don't. I don't believe that uh, you've actually exhausted the supply of Jews that you had to move on to Gentiles. I think you found somebody and fell in love with them, and you're hoping things work out. Right. And you're not thinking it through. What do you say to people who are who who are in that situation, who fall in love with the Gentile, hoping things are working out, um, not thinking it through? Because some you know sometimes the Gentile partner develops a, a passion for Judaism and converts and then they have a fantastic family and, and everything comes up roses. Right. How, do, how does one tell if one's in that sort of situation or the dreaming situation? 
If the person wants to convert, then they should convert before you marry them. And the reason why is simple. We never marry someone hoping that they'll change. It's not fair to the person. Right. right? If somebody's sloppy, I can't hope that they're going to be neat one day. You know, you, or you could hope, but you can't expect it. Right? You marry the person that you see in front of you, not the person that may one day be somebody else. If the person did not convert, and especially if they're not actively in the process, then you can't expect them to convert. You're marrying a non-Jew. What they do in the future is not in your hands. Right. So what do you say to someone who, I mean, I, I'm just picking a scenario here because I imagine this has come across your desk more than once. Someone who comes to you and says, Rabbi, I've, I've been marrying, uh, sorry, I've been, marrying, I've, been, I've been dating so-and-so for X months or even X years, and we're thinking about at some point in the future getting married and kind of interested in, in converting. Like, what do, you, what do you say to that sort of position? So I, I have a, a policy. In general, I don't break people up because it... It usually just backfires. Right. And then you're, you're responsible. I'm responsible or they won't speak to me again. In general, I just try to teach the positive. And I think if people see the value in their Judaism, then they'll understand the value of having a Jewish husband or Jewish wife. So I teach them the positive. I teach them what is the value of this thing. I know other people do it differently. They... They're very strict and very stern, and, and uh, they hope that by pushing the person, they'll drop the non-Jew. Hmm. But I, I don't think that works. Fire and brimstone is, is old-fashioned. Yeah. I mean, it, it may work if you're a parent, perhaps, hmm. in a certain dynamic. But you have to invest in a person before you try to break them up. Right. And uh, you try to break them up, you could invest, and then they won't come to your house again. They're embarrassed of you. So instead, teach why Judaism is valuable, why it's important to raise a home in the Jewish way. Yeah. One of the, one of the big ways that you teach uh, the value of Judaism today, of course, is your Akiva Israel trips. How long have you been doing those now? So Akiva started in 2011 as a high-level trip for students and young professionals that are serious about revisiting their Judaism, understanding the joy, understanding the intellect behind it, and, um, and, and reincorporating it or incorporating it. What, what do you mean high-level trip? Well, the students that we choose are character people who want to grow, uh, who have really excelled in their own personal growth and want to learn more about Judaism at the same time uh, become assets to uh, the Jewish people and to society. So, for example, New Year's, where most groups in Israel are partying and perhaps getting drunk at the, strike, at the stroke of midnight, our Akiva trip was out there doing random acts of kindness uh, going to orphanages and giving out presents or the pediatric ward uh, and, and visiting the children or giving out food and socks to the homeless. 
that's what the Akiva trip is all about. It's a, it's, it's a, a really special kind of a student that gets on the Akiva trip. Uh, we had last year 900 applicants for about 35 <sighs> slots. So we, we have the ability to be very picky, and we try to be. We try to find a really great group that uh, would fit that criteria. Um, yeah, it's it's a it's it's a magical trip. There's no curfew at night. We don't babysit uh, the group. If you're on the Akiva trip, it says a lot about you. And in Yerushalayim, when the Akiva trip walks down the street, people say, "Oh, Akiva's back." Really? And yes. They get off in all the restaurants if you're part of Akiva. Uh, it, it's a it's a prestigious thing. It's like the Harvard of trips. <laughs> so, the Harvard of Israel trips, eh? Yeah. Fantastic. How, and so this has been going on for a few years. It's in 2011, you said? Since, yeah, since 2011. Beautiful. Why did you decide you wanted to have your own Israel trip, start, start taking people over? So I work for the donor, and I used to uh, inspect trips for him. Mm. And... The trips usually got a 75 to 80% positive rating with certain things the students just didn't like. And after reading enough of the feedback forms and the surveys, I went to the donor and I said, I know what they do like and what they don't. If you give me a grant for the funding, uh, I'll put on the perfect trip. It wasn't perfect the first time, but we got it very quickly and... Today, Akiva has a tremendous reputation. Beautiful. Beautiful. Can you, can you uh, share with us a couple of your secret sauce ingredients? Uh, that's a really good question. There's a lot. Um, on the Akiva trip, uh, we do put the spotlight on every person multiple times. So nobody has the ability to shrink into the background, to the corners. Uh, we want you to shine. Everyone on Akiva shines. Uh, the Akiva trip has musicians, very high-level musicians, that join us for the entire trip. So the trip is known as a very, very musical trip. Uh, we dance down the streets. Uh, we, um, the, the, the music is a very big part of Akiva. Uh, on the Akiva trip, uh, we, we respect your intellect. So the time that you give us to... Uh, speak with you. Uh, we'll give you very high-level classes from the top people in their fields. We'll fly them in from wherever it takes. Uh, we've even had some of the top professors join us for the entire trip to be on hand for people's questions. Oof. So uh, it, it's a very, very special trip. And um, and just to get on... Uh, you have to have a lot of references. We have to know that you're uh, going to be a leader, uh, a growth-oriented person. So uh, I mean, there's a lot of other things that we do. Uh, I have a very, very deep relationship with the students. I follow up with the students. And anyone who goes on Akiva once is called part of Akiva Nation. <laughs> and Akiva Nation has grown tremendously. And once you're part of Akiva Nation, we offer you other trips, we're going to Poland in March. We're going to Spain in May. Um, we even do a trip in New York called the Akiva Metro trip. So we give you opportunities to, to shine and to grow and to learn. And all you need to do is take 
advantage of the trip without taking advantage of the trip. Right. How if someone wants to apply for an Akiva trip, how would how would they do that? They would just go to the website, akivatrip.com, A-K-I-V-A, akivatrip.com, and uh, they could sign up. Our Israel trip uh, is not birthright. It's longer. It's 15 days. It's not free, but it is next to free. It's $299. So Whew. that's 15 days. Wait, is that uh, including or not including airfare? That's including airfare. Whoa. All right. And if you want our birthright, we can still take you. Uh, this is a relevant question for me. Um, do you do you accept applicants from Australia? Um, it, it's much harder to. <laughs> uh, usually we can't accept outside North America. We had our first exception. That young lady from, was from Brazil. Um, usually uh, it's, usually it's, it's a North American fund. Uh, but if someone wants to franchise Akiva, <laughs> I will train them in and they can learn how to do do things that keep away. Fair. You know? that's, that's, that's very, uh, that sounds like a fantastic trip. Yeah. And what do you look for in applicants? Um, we look for people without too many red flags. Uh, we look for people who are growth oriented, people who want to go to Israel to learn about Judaism. We're very upfront. Uh, we're not in debate and switch. We mm-hmm. tell you what the trip is about uh, with extreme detail. We say it's about learning, it's about upgrading Judaism, it's about understanding why you do what you do, uh, it's about incorporating, it's about Jewish continuity, and of course it's it's incredibly fun and, and bonding. But uh, as somebody says, I want to go to, on the Akiva trip because I want to hang out with the soldiers in Tel Aviv, it's not the right trip for them. Right. That's not this trip. We actually are one of the only trips in the world that live in the old city of Jerusalem. That's our base. We live in King David's tomb. <laughs> you live in King David's tomb? We live in the tomb. Wow. So it's very historic. It's also magical. And um, what we do for the students is really special. So uh, like one of, the, one of the beautiful things that we do in Akiva is for lunch, instead of buying everyone pizza or tuna sandwiches, since we're in the old city with a lot of restaurants, we give everyone money each day and let them choose which restaurant they want to go to to eat. That's fantastic. Isn't that wonderful? Whoa. Yeah. What a time to be alive. <laughs> <laughs> So we have all these little things that really make the trip. Uh, okay. And, and let's say someone hears this and really wants to get on this trip and wants yeah. to make the perfect application. Okay. Like, is there anything you look for in the application? That be I- real, be honest, you know, answer the questions honestly, because we, we will be checking everyone out and um, you, you, you don't want to lie in the application. You want to you want to say, even if you've never, even if you haven't been going to Jewish things until now, you could write, I haven't been going until now, uh, but I feel now is the time for me to learn and I'm ready to go and I want to want to learn and incorporate. Just be honest and that'll help. Beautiful. Yeah. Great. And if anyone wants to donate to, because uh, you, you have an umbrella organization now, Od Yavo. Right. Is, do people donate through Adyavo or through the individual they, they would, you do? They would, in, they would donate through Shabbat.com. As a matter of fact, Shabbat.com forward slash donate mm-hmm. uh, is the best way. Uh, I, I do not take a salary from Shabbat.com. All the money goes straight 
to the organization. Uh, besides the programming, we do events every Shabbat. We do single events. We do events for divorced mothers with their children. Uh, a lot of uh, compassionate events. Uh, we do single events where we pack Shalach Manas for the American uh, Jewish soldiers who are nearby. A lot of really special uh, uh, things that we do, and uh, we are non-for-profit. So Beautiful. Shabbat.com slash donate to right. give. And can people uh, uh, dedicate things to, yeah. to people? Oh, fantastic. All right. And and um, what's the next? I mean, I, I've, I've seen you've been doing some, some music work with Rapini Shachter. What, can you give us a sneak preview of the next big big thing? So, I mean, outside of the trips that we are preparing and and uh, on the website, adding a really special feature of suggest a match, where anyone can match up any other two people on the site. Uh, the next major thing that we're doing is less glamorous, but no less important, which is uh, the Shabbat.com app is due for a huge upgrade, and that's a very time and money intensive project. Anytime you upgrade uh, an app, especially the way we plan upgrading it, but it will have tremendous features to allow people to uh, uh, to log on and uh, and uh, use uh, the Shabbat.com features. And uh, we've recently added jobs to Shabbat.com. Oh, so, wow. So you can find the job right now anywhere in the world on Shabbat.com. We're building it out, but Shabbat.com is a really cool feature where you click the job links at the left side of the homepage, and the entire feed changes from a social feed to a job network. So in one click, the... It switches from Facebook to LinkedIn. Right. <laughs> Incredible. Well, I, I, this is, I, I, before we were recording, you showed me a bit of the new user interface for the web version. This is similar to what's coming into the app? This the, the, uh, the dating... So uh, just for the people at home who didn't get to see the, the beta version, right. um, I, I saw the, the, stand, the standard Shabbat.com um, dating setup is, is sort of like a Facebook list kind of deal. Exactly. And now the new one is, is much more Instagram-y. It's got, it's got bigger, bigger user-friendly icons, like large pictures. And um, the, the, the favorites and message icons are very well-placed. So this is is the um, the the phone app going through the same sort of changes. The, yeah, the phone app is going to have it as well. It it's really the shift from uh, a, a data intensive format to a visual and graphic intensive format. So the data is going to be there. You hover over, you'll see data that you need, dating profile. But it uh, the, but the visual which is which will attract you attract you to click. Uh, will be at the forefront. Yeah, that's that's really. Uh, I, I'm just I'm looking at the site now, and it's just like the, the, <laughs> I, the, the I can't help but say it's just so modern. Like it's mm-hmm. it's the sort of thing that it, a couple of years ago no one would have been doing this, and now it, all the Instagrams doing this, and it's it's like become the way of of of, of laying out a website for this sort of thing. It's really remarkable. Um, okay. All right. Do you know? Do we have a, a, a release date for when the new version of the site's coming out? Yeah. So the new version is supposed to be ready this Wednesday. Um, whether it will be uh, depends on this 
suggest a match feature that I just asked the programmer to incorporate. That may tack on a few days, but by the end of the week, it should be done. Cool. I, I, I just You mentioned this before off, off air, but I'd, I'd love to just have this on record again. Describe quickly the suggest a match feature. Yes, the suggest a match will be a page where uh, with all of the dating uh, candidates in two rows, one on the right, one on the left. Uh, the right will be male, the left will be female, and uh, there there'll be a filter, so you can filter uh, what uh, kind of person you're looking for. That will shuffle the list, and then if you see two people, one on the right, one on the left who you'd like to put together, we have drag and drop. You just click on either the male or female and drop them over the image of the uh, other gender, and it will uh, generate a suggest a match with you as the matchmaker. I, I got to say, I haven't, haven't had a chance to play around with this feature, but it sounds so fun <laughs> to just sit there and, and, and filter and filter and filter, drag, drop. Right. I can see a lot of, um, what is it, a lot of uh, armchair shadchanim having a lot of good times with that one. Exactly. Azoi, well, um, I, I feel like I could speak to you all evening, but we are just about out of time here. Um, oh, thank you very much. Rippensi and Klatsko. And what's 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 your vision for for all of this for the next few years? Huh. I mean, the vision is to keep on opening our eyes to see what the next vision is. There's uh, a lot of uh, a lot of ideas, but ideas are not enough. They have to be put into action. Do, do you so have? I have some very good ideas. Uh, one idea I have is a uh, a very interesting kind of register for Bikr Cholim, uh for visiting sick people. One of the uh, it, it's an actual issue where there are a lot of people who are not in the hospitals, but they're homebound and they don't really have visitors, and nobody knows about them, and they're home by themselves for weeks and months at a time. And if their kids are out of town then simply nobody is there. So uh, a way uh, to register the fact that your your aunt, your uncle, your grandparent is looking for a visitor and uh, a, a way to see everyone in your area and within a certain proximity who is who needs to be visited with the times uh, that they're available to be visited. And uh, this way we can all get in on a mitzvah that unfortunately is pretty much an afterthought for most people. Right. I, you know, unless you're going on a, a field trip, people usually don't go on a bigger column trip. Their friend is sick, so they visit their friend. But That's beautiful. And it really seems like one of the things that um, I, I'm, just, I'm just watching now, the history of your, your app, like how Shabbat.com kept people interested because Shabbat is like a regular thing that shows up every week. And then from there, it's easy to build it into a Shadchan platform. This Bikr Cholim thing sounds like something that's so important, but it's difficult to do without an existing database. Right. If only we had someone with an existing <laughs> database. Right. Yeah. So that's, that's an idea, and there are more, more ideas. I'll tell you one more idea, which is just, here's a little idea. If you're listening to this and you got money, you can either send it to me and I'll build it, or you could build it, and you can cut out the middleman. Um, a lot of young ladies 
are looking to go to seminary after high school. Uh, but there's no money because seminaries are very expensive. And the parents don't have money to afford it. So what, uh, so, so what do these kids do? So some of them don't end up going. And I believe that that year in Israel after high school is a pivotal year. So I was thinking of creating a, uh, a platform uh, whereby potential employers who would be hiring these young ladies when they came back from seminary uh, would sign a contract with them before they left, be able to advance them some of the money. We'd have to create safeguards to make sure they don't end up without the money. And uh, in exchange, uh, when they came back, uh, they would they would go to work by these people. So this way, uh, when they need the money, they have the money, rather than the year afterwards uh, when they already were broke and they couldn't afford seminary, let them uh, have that money in advance. And it could be the employers will get a good deal. Right. So so they would be... Uh, That's incredible. It, sound, it sounds like the, the sort of the military paying for college sort of deal. Right. Wow. And what's the, what's the advantage to the employer for this situation? So, number one, the employer can get uh, really good uh, help. Uh, the employer can... Uh, have the the person look in or do research or brush up on certain skills over that year. Let's say the employer says, I'd love to hire you, but you need to know Excel. So over that year, she can learn Excel. While she's a seminary. While she's While in seminary. Excel on the side. Right. Wow. And she, she knows that she's coming back to a, a And she knows she's coming back to a job. This is, a, this is remarkable. I can see why you're saying it's, a, it's one level up sort of project. Right. But it would be a fantastic thing for it to exist. I think so. All right. Well, <laughs> mamash hatzlacha on all your projects. One more? Sure. One more? Uh, we're looking to put together a website for, for converts. doesn't exist yet. What? Uh, doesn't exist. What do you mean it doesn't exist? It doesn't exist. It simply doesn't exist. There's no database that have resources for someone who wants to convert to Judaism. So for the convert, and I live in New York, which has the most converts, for the convert, it is fiendishly difficult to get information about a court, about who to call, what the procedure is. It's, it is the vast unknown, and the vast majority of converts have a negative experience on their way to Judaism. It's yeah. very negative. So I was thinking of putting together a, a, a website database, every court, with the times that are available, what the procedure looks like, how long should it take, uh, just to do it in a very organized way because there are more people converting today than almost at any time in Jewish history. Really? We are living in the age of converts. And the reason why is fascinating. Today, there used to be no one knew what the Jewish argument was. Why, why do Jews think they're right? Because we don't go around missionizing. So nobody knew what an argument was. But today, there's YouTube, and non-Jews are stumbling across people like Mizrahi, Yosef Mizrahi, or Tovia Singer, or H.com, or Torah. They're, they're stumbling into onto videos of very, very intelligent and articulate uh, and passionate and knowledgeable religious Jews 
who don't sound backwards in the least. They sound incredibly educated. And the non-Jew is saying, well, I guess there is another side to this story that I didn't know. Uh, Tovia Singer is. Have you ever heard of Tovia Singer? He is probably the greatest example of all because he's a, an anti-missionary rabbi who is uh, well-versed in the Old and the New Testament better than probably any person alive. And he explains why the Jews never converted. And he goes toe-to-toe with the top Christian theologians. So you've got Christians watching this stuff. And they say, wow, the rabbi is bringing up a really good point. You know, and, and the, the priest, the theologian, did not properly answer his point. And it makes them begin to think. And uh, on Shabbat.com alone, it's incredible the amount of people who are looking to convert. So the age of YouTube, we don't have to missionize. The information suddenly is accessible to the public. It's, it's remarkable what's going on. Because of that, we need to make conversion uh, serious, but friendly enough that uh, the, that the, uh, uh, the, the, the chip on the shoulder doesn't last long uh, after they become right. Jewish. Because I've heard of, on this topic that that um, correct policy is to rebuff a convert at first, but I feel like this, this is more of an issue of um, labyrinthine bureaucracy not working rather than people make, making a principled effort. To exactly, exactly. You know, it's, it's a mistake. People think you're supposed to rebuff a convert three times, but it's the court that's supposed to do it, not the layperson. If a if a if an Anju comes over to us interested in converting, wants to know about Judaism, you could tell them. Hmm. It's the court's job, and uh, the court has to be friendly. Uh, of course, the court is concerned that someone's going to convert and then go back, and then we're going to have all these people who have a questionable conversion because we did, we uh, question their sincerity when they originally converted. Hmm. So you have to find that balance, but you have to find that balance. So that's another project I have in my mind. Incredible. So if you want to join me in any of these, each one of these are like game-changing ideas. Fair enough. I'll keep them in mind. And um, perhaps I'll have you on the show another time to to hear about the next set. (laughs) We'll see. All right. Ritzatska, thank you so much for coming on. You're welcome. Hatzlacha ubracha. Amen. Thank you.